Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. We are going to continue where we left off. And after this episode, we're going to finish, uh, or should I say, continue to do the erotic, I should, I'm sorry, ethical porn standards. We're going to be doing that. We're going to go back to that after this episode. Okay. Initiations into erotic power, January 2nd, 2019, and That's A-N-N-E hyphenated M-A-R-I-E M-A-R-R-O-N. All right. The initiations into erotic power, January 2nd, 2019. The following is the story of my journey, including the teachers who have initiated me and reminded me of who I am. I am deeply grateful for the power of their love, presence, and wisdom. Challenges and obstacles are often the medicine that initiates growth and transformation. An extended health challenge was was a significant catalyst that opened me to the world beyond my comfort zone. I grew more open-minded because I was desperate to find my way through a dark cave. Challenges and obstacles are our medicine. Darkness and aloneness. When I was 13 years old, my elder brother Jimmy died in a car accident. It crushed me into lifeless pieces. I may have appeared normal on the outside, but my soul felt bleak and flat, like a book snapped shut in grief. I felt abandoned. I was haunted by dark pathways inside myself, alone and confused. I felt that I should have died instead. For months after his death, I woke up in the middle of the night with explosive hot energy swirling in my hands and body. The sensation moved with such the sensation moved with such fervor that I thought my palms were going to spit fireballs. I was 14 years old and didn't understand energy or this intense force of nature inside of me. I was scared. In dream time, Jimmy would call me on the phone and give me messages. One night we spoke about this energy and he told me to place my hands on my chest to heal my heartbreak. I woke up instantly upon our goodbye and tried his advice. I was stunned by how this buzzing warmth in my hands began to soothe me. This energy was big and I didn't feel like feeling out of control. This energy was big and I didn't like feeling out of control. I was a teenager. I wanted to fit in and not be the weirdo with psychic abilities and fireball hands. I tried to suppress the energy as much as I could. Finally, I succeeded and it stopped. Those lightning bolts of energy were a form of power I had no reference for. Now I understand that this was erotic life force, a healing energy extending relief to my grief-stricken heart. Not erotic energy channeled into sexual expression, but erotic as in the creative, vital juice that we are all made of. The intense pain and suffering that began to initiate me from a young age became the compost for who I am today. From this ground grew my capacity to walk myself and others into the darkness like shepherds looking for lost sheep in order to find and reclaim all of who we are, hunger. In my early 20s, I followed the road laid out for me by our culture. I married a charming and loving man. We lived together for a few years in New Orleans and then moved to Chicago where we brought our first home together. I received my master's in business administration on a full scholarship and graduated with double honors. I was a committed triathlete lavishing tastes of freedom as I ran like a gazelle along Lake Michigan every morning with my dog, Cherokee. I worked as a lay minister counseling people at a Presbyterian church in downtown Chicago. 
I co-founded a couple of startup companies in the revolutionary.com era. On one level, this list may be impressive, but actually it was a prison because I, I had no idea how to stop. I never felt I was doing enough. I was driven to achieve both a gift and a shadow. I drove myself away from my survivor skill and fears of unworthiness by keeping myself too busy to look within. The controlled, productive speedboat of my life kept me focusing on goals ahead so I wouldn't notice the ocean of my vulnerability. The hypervigilance was stressful, though. In my attempt to push away uncertainty, I also pushed away rest, play, my intuitive guidance and faith in the medicine that was being offered to me through challenges. Two years after a divorce, my hunger for a new life was growing from deep in my belly. It called insistently, although I didn't know what it was calling for. In 2003, my hunger called me to my first meditation retreat in the Rocky Mountains. The theme of the retreat was based on the teacher's book, Turning Your Mind Into Your Ally. I felt like my mind was my enemy, lashing me with constant thoughts of self-criticism, and I didn't want to be at war anymore. As I observed my mental patterns through hours of meditation, I began to feel something opening in me. So I moved to Boulder, Colorado, dropping from my head into my body. Boulder led me on a descent from my head into my heart and the ground of my being. During my, fir during my first professional coaching certification, my teachers firmly, con firmly consoled that I needed to learn how to drop from my head into my body and trust the wisdom of my intuition and body sensations. What the hell did that mean? I had no idea. Shortly after this, my new leadership mentor, Fred Kaufman, suggested I visit Reggie Ray, a Buddhist teacher launching a program called Meditating with the Body. As he described the, pro as he described the program, I felt myself reaching for a lifeline to a new way of being. That was the beginning of a 16-year journey that has taken me deep into my body in wildly unexpected and beautiful ways. The Reggie somatic-based meditation practice, I dove directly into the place where trauma, grief, and pain were stored inside me, awaiting my loving presence and attention. I slowed down. I wept. I screamed. I connected with my body in ways I never experienced as an athlete. I discovered that my body wasn't a machine. It was a universe of wisdom, love, and ancient history from my DNA and lineage. I felt turned on by this work and the way it was unfolding my being. Formless, formless awareness. One of my greatest teachers and sources of love was and still is my yellow Labrador Ch Cherokee. She was my family and she taught me unconditional love. After 13 years together, she was dying of living of she was dying of liver cancer and transitioning to her final days. I laid on the bamboo floor with her, gazing into her eyes and stroking her silky golden coat. I reflect on how uncomprehensible a life without her would be. She was a consistent source of joy, belonging, unconditional love, and playfulness. Cherokee provided an experience of healthy attachment that I, did, that I hadn't yet known. I healed my childhood trauma through my relationship with her. When she first got cancer at two years old, I noticed myself living with increasing increased anxiety that she would die like my brother. Cherokee helped me see that I had no control of death and that everything in life changes. The stinking truth that my moments with her were limited beckoned me into a space of deep presence. I didn't dare waste a minute of her remaining time with me. I meditated daily to keep my mind calm enough to rest in our loving connection. During her final few weeks, I surrendered to the engulfing grief and began to process early abandonment trauma and fears about death. 
During a quiet moment of gazing at one another, I felt her transmit a message to me through her chocolate eyes. I am not my body, she told me. I am bigger and beyond this form, as are you. I will never die, and I will always be with you. I felt this truth like a lightning bolt that, it, that ignited deeper wisdom inside me. My sense of self began to expand beyond the confines of my physical body. For a few minutes, I was not contained in the form of Anne Mary. I was a divine presence of love and peace. I saw us for who we are, part of the universe and beyond, beyond form. Cherokee showed me that we extend beyond our thoughts, emotions, and our physical body. We are formless awareness, radiating light and love. At 4 a.m. the next morning, Cherokee took her last breath in my arms. Around me in the pre-dawn darkness, the room was painted with soft and exquisite colors of blue and pink. Over the next six hours, I lay by her side, feeling the heat in her heart as it gradually cooled, and I drank from the wellspring of love and peacefulness, palpably hovering in the space. Since that time, I have continued to explore other realms and ways of communicating that lie beyond the, beyond the mind. I've learned to understand my intuition and stay open to challenging my conceptual ideas. Health challenges physical pain and depletion. When Cherokee died, I was experiencing extreme exhaustion and physical pain. Extensive medical tests left me with a, without a diagnosis or guidance. The many years of pushing myself had caught up to me through adrenal exhaustion and other mysterious symptoms. I struggled with the illness, but found no victories. I didn't know how to fix this. As my colleagues and friends started businesses and families, my pain and exhaustion grew more and more excruciating until it pulled me underground for the next six years. Once I stopped fighting my inner guidance, it became clear that I had to surrender. I had to let the gravity of my illness carry me inwards for healing. I was tired of being at war with the dark energies I felt within me. I needed to crawl into a, I needed to crawl into a cave of my own making. The natural world, stillness and silence. I was divinely guided to a place I had never heard of, a magical land in the mountains of Santa Cruz called Bonnie Doom. I arrived in the rain. My eyes were seduced by enormous moss-covered oak trees shrouded in wafting pockets of mist. A weeping willow cascaded her soft billowing branches towards the raindrops dancing on the lake. Wild ducks used their trails to rudder across the water, while frogs sang a cacophony of delight. My body said yes, and I rented a small and I rented a small cottage there. Upon moving to Bonnie Doom, I dove even more deeply into my meditation practice. We studied various mind-body modalities and their effects on suffering, weakness, and pain, using myself as a science experiment. I received many gifts from this Bonnie Doom land. The wild creatures who roamed the property and the spirits of the sacred land fiercely and gently taught me the shaman's path. I worked diligently with my silent meditation practice, the teachings of Adaya Shanti and a shamanic healer named Sonia Amrita. Sonia kept referring to me as a shaman. I, I tightened up every time she said it. But day, but day by day, I unraveled layers of trauma-born beliefs and patterns in my body. The silence, beauty, and stillness of my environment soothed my internal aggression. The invitation was to break down all the ways I kept myself a prisoner. I lived through floods and wildfires and once encountered a mountain lion hunting and eventually gutting a deer by my sleeping bag. Nature is teaching me how to listen to the wild and unpredictable flow of being alive. I built forts in the trees and gathered brush to conclude myself while I merged with the land. I began to understand the ways of the shaman. 
I had tried the traditional path with drums, rattles, and guided journeys to connect with power animals, but it hadn't felt natural to me, and I had concluded that I was incompetent. Now the magic was teaching me in our secret language, teaching me through, teaching me through the land, the unseen world in my aching erotic body. I was in a mystery school and didn't know it. Awakening sexuality and healing life force. Often while sitting in meditation by the lake, my root and womb would open to a fire hose of energy from the earth. At times it felt hot like the passionate penetration of a lover. At other times it pulsed with slow and cool conviction as it sent energy up to my brain and other tight or contracted destinations. I had no idea what was happening, but somehow I knew to trust and surrender. This flow of life energy was helping to reveal to my conscious awareness what being suppressed physically and emotionally. It was fiercely catalytic. During this time, I started to remember trauma and memories that had been carefully stored away in my mind-body. At times, I found myself feeling orgasmic from the energy compelled to engage in self-pleasuring. It was a sensational ride. I started to study masters like the Taoist Mantak Shia to better understand my full-body, multi-orgasmic experiences. I studied Kundalini energy to understand the wild ways my body would convulse from the root to my crown in a serpentine way. I explored the chakras. I devoured any physical or esoteric wisdom that I could get my hands on. I didn't have a lover. I was actually afraid that the penetration of a physical human energy body would blow my circuits. I didn't speak much of this experience, keeping it sacred in my own laboratory, witnessed only by the wildness of the land. Despite my isolation, I made unlikely friends. A scrub blue jay, who I endearingly named Mr. Magoo, faithfully flew by my cottage door for the sunflower seeds outside. I left my French doors open during the day, and eventually his daily itinerary included visits into the cottage and onto the edge of my bed. He'd pop around on his finely gray legs for a minute and then stop, stare, and rest with me. It often made me cry. I wasn't alone. Echo Communion. The nighttime star gazing amid the bullfrog stirred something in my soul. Laying on my stomach, I rested in the earth, my eyes closed. I could identify birds and dragonfly species by the sound of their wings. My deep love for the land and wild creatures opened a portal through which I was able to feel their beauty and presence. One morning, I was startled awake by the sensation that my body was literally on fire. As I sat with the intensity, I discovered that we were under an evacuation warning from a series of uncontained fires on the mountain. Similar phenomenon happened with flooding and rains that closed all routes off the mountain. I literally felt the experience of flooding and rains in my body. I thought I was crazy at the time. Now I understand that my body was learning to read and merge with the natural world. I was being taught a channel of resonance and empathy that would eventually extend toward others. You have what you need. I was unable to get around much physically. Most days I laid in bed or floated in the lake, praying for relief from the pain and exhaustion. When I did have rare energy bursts, I directed it towards certifications and trainings in trauma, massage, energy healing, and studying the anatomy of the physical body and the esoteric anatomy of the spirit. Doctor, vis doctor visits and protocols were unsuccessful in identifying or minimizing the source of my chronic pain, digestive issues, and exhaustion. 
I rode a roller coaster of hope and disappointment as doctors promised help and then failed. I was desperate for guidance. One evening, I sat by the lake as the final strings of light disappeared behind the mountains. I listened to the bullfrogs echo their low-pitched bellows across the lake to one another as if they were scheming a plan. I shared with the spirits of the land and the presence of the unseen realms that I didn't want to live anymore if this was the quality of my life. I cried and pleaded with the stars to take me home to the place where I felt no suffering. Tears traveled down my cheeks and wet my chest as I begged the unseen world for help. Time passed. The darkness covered the earth and the stars brightened. My inner world became quiet and something in my system settled. I closed my eyes and felt the weight of my body sink into the earth. To my surprise, I felt the sensation of a warm hand with long fingers on my chest. I opened my eyes to see who was there and met only the empty dark. I began to hear a voice of clarity say through my thoughts, you have everything you need inside of you to heal your pain. You must heal the trauma in your body. Your Kundalini has opened and it's getting lodged and stuck in pockets of contraction. It's showing you what wants to be cleared. It's time to look within, listen to your inner guidance and trust yourself. I heeded. I began rereading Waking the Tiger, a book by trauma specialist Peter Levine, and enrolled in the training to become a somatic experiencing trauma therapist. What I learned changed my life. The body indeed stores emotional, physical, and psychological trauma. We even carry the trauma of our lineage in our DNA. I learned how to access these contracted points in myself and unravel the beliefs and energy bound and self-destructive that were partially the cause of my pain and health issues. I apprenticed to this practice, began to notice shifts in my symptoms. I was on track with something. Years later, this immersion has become a foundational component of my work with clients as we dive into material that is subconsciously held in the body, causing dissonant, causing dissonant adaptive behaviors. The body longs to come back to clear mental, emotional, energetic flow, just as violent, rapid, settle into lazy rivers when given enough space. Embodied listening and virtual connection. After I received what I needed from somatic experience and training, I enrolled in a Swedish massage and polarity therapy certification program in downtown Santa Cruz. My focus was directed towards healing and rebuilding my energy reserves. The deep listening I'd been engaged in with my own body and mind also began to extend towards people I connected with. In my mostly virtual social life, I started to find ways of communicating beyond verbal discourse. The slower pace of my daily life allowed me to be more attuned to the subtle inflections of someone's voice, the way they were breathing on the phone and the emotional tones that moved between us. I found myself downloading sensations and emotions that I felt in my friends, sometimes before they were aware of it themselves. When we, when we placed our attention and inquired together into what was arising for them, people would experience spontaneous healings of mind and body. I learned to recognize that emotions and energies have a voice as does someone's soul personality and fears. I began to listen beyond the fear of personalities to offer a bridge to the wisdom and soulful self that lives quietly under the nose. One night I was speaking with a friend who had been in and out of the heart space for a long time. As we explored his feelings and body wisdom, he quietly shared that he wanted to kill himself. The land had been training me to slow down and my meditation practice had been revealing my autopilot impulses to try to fix what was painful. This announcement was painful, but my heart told me to just be. I sat in the silence, feeling him and giving space for us to meet his pain. Moments later, to my surprise, I said, I love you. I understand the feeling of wanting to press the eject button 
that is what you need to do, I will stand by your side. I wouldn't normally encourage someone to take their life. That would be deemed as irresponsible and loving in my quote-unquote rule book of being a good person. But my statement didn't come from a guidebook of quote-unquote the right thing to do. I was listening to something beyond my dualistic mind, to something deeper that was shared by him and myself. From this place of presence, my habit of monitoring my speech was suspended. And I trusted the compassion coming through me. I felt his despair. I knew this de- I knew this despair myself. After I shared those words, he cried. He went deeper to his pain, aloneness, and despair. I stayed steady and put my hand on my heart, asking for support. Then something magical happened. He started giggling. This turned to full-blown hysterical laughter. Something had cracked in him. A story broke. Later explained that the permission I gave him and the willingness to stand by his side penetrated something in him. I was being shown how to channel and source catalytic and loving wisdom. I learned that I can trust when information comes through me that feels like a transmission from something beyond my conceptual mind and personality. In order to do this, I had to surrender and create space to not know the answers, to not latch onto a controlled response. The relationships and teachings I was receiving from the land and wildlife was informing my abilities to listen, see, and feel others. Integration daily practice is a way of life. Life reveals the guidance I need when I slow down, make space, bring awareness to the unconscious agendas I've been I'm being driven by, and drop them to see what life reveals to me. As I track, listen, and map my sense of what is happening for a client, I so I simultaneously hold my map loosely as I explore the terrain with embodied practices which allow for my clients' wisdom to arise in conceptual, non-conceptual ways. I practice tracking my clients without trying to fix them, listening to what is below the surface. A few years ago, I flew to Washington, D.C. to lead an off-site retreat for one of my corporate CEO clients. We intended to do some visioning for the organization. I was facilitating him through the traditional process of questions and visualizations, mapping themes on the wall with posts it's we were doing all the we were doing all the right things but i felt like we were spinning in the mind and not touching the deeper sense of his vision i shared this with him and asked permission to course correct inviting him to sit down and close his eyes i asked him questions about what was occurring in his body and presented him with some embodied exercises we were making space dropping our agenda and going to the unknown which my training had taught me to trust. I felt scared that I wasn't going to deliver the value he paid me for, and I let those thoughts go. I felt him relax. My intuition began to slowly guide him into his heart and presence of being. Entering his internal world with him, I tracked his reported experiences like a jaguar in the jungle on the hunt. Eventually, after a long pause, I asked, what are you noticing? He said, this may seem crazy, but I'm literally looking through the eyes of an eagle. I am an eagle. My shamanic self smiled inwardly and said, Great, stay with that. We dove into his sensations and I began to dialogue with my client, the eagle and the silence. The messages revealed from the eagle about my client's visions for his busyness, for his business, I'm sorry. The messages revealed from the eagle about my client's visions for his business and family have become a compass for our work together. The tools I have learned since my time of illness has helped me learn to trust the mysteries. I have, re- I have reclaimed parts of myself while sitting in the jungle with shamans and sacred plant medicines. I've experienced lineage healings through, modali- through modalities like family constellations and energy work 
and have learned ways to navigate dark entries through Kwai Gong and, shaman and shamanic practices. I continue to spend time alone in the wilderness, listening to the heartbeat of the wild, and I make space to meet my aloneness when it surfaces unexpectedly. The other important practice I cultivate is that of grace. Sometimes I'm present, other times I'm not. My life is a moving meditation with the intention to welcome all parts of myself, both my gifts and my shadows. The opportunity to abide in our essence occurs anew in every moment. Allowing ourselves to be imperfect and still lovable is where freedom reigns. I trust that life will continue to give me just what I need to evolve and remember. I commit to the practice of interrupting the wars inside. Allowing ourselves to be imperfect and still lovable is where freedom reigns. It's over a decade later, I'm still discovering how the time on the land initiated me as a shamanic seer and awakened me to the power of our erotic life force. After years of this deep immersion into silence, mind-body trainings and immersion in, in nature, I re-emerge with a desire to help others see beyond the matrix of fear-based suffering. I want to help us remember that beyond our ego patterns, we are love. I am grateful for my teachers, darkness and aloneness, mind training, embodiment, formless awareness, health challenges, the wild and natural world, erotic energy, embodied listening, ancestral healing, plant medicine, energy healing, all the people who both stood by my side and triggered and hurt me. Everything has brought me to where I am today. I'm especially grateful to the land which helped me drop through the trauma patterns looping in my nervous system. It introduced me to the life force that pulses up from the earth through my pelvic bowl and down from the stars through my crown. If, we're, if we open to it, life will penetrate us from the top down and from the bottom up. This is our erotic nature. Creative energy lives within and flows through us in multiple directions and endless flavors of vibrant potency. Erotic energy heals and creates while the natural world reminds us, reminds us of our wildly fierce power softness beauty and wisdom january 6 2019 unraveling conditioned beliefs and remembering sexuality as a healing force i spent most of my lifetime dimming my presence when i felt my aliveness threatened someone else. It's how I escaped unwanted attention as an attractive young girl, later as a businesswoman. My work in the corporate world reinforced the containment necessary to dim my sexuality in public. Over time, I realized that I desperately wanted to open and release this repression in a space where I was where I was anonymous and nothing was expected of me. I needed to know what it was like to quote unquote come out of hiding as a sensual being in public. So I took myself to freestyle dance. My strategy was to let myself rip and then leave 10 minutes before the dance ended so I didn't have to navigate unwanted attention. It took a while, but with each dance, the voice inside me that warned, you're moving too sexy, shut it down, or you're showing off, stop, fell away. I emerged with the energy that coursed up from the earth through my entire body. I let go of control and allowed my body to share my story. The story of my life, my joy, my primal desires, my heartbreak, and my longings. Dance became my secret love of the place where all of me was welcomed and integrated. Week by week and dance by dance, the cage inside me broke. After a few years, my inner jaguar had my permission to crawl across the floor, initiate wrestling, growling, and nuzzling play with others. In the beginning, there were shame hangovers, and I feared that I had been too much. For the truth was that no one was likely watching me. And if they were judging me, that wasn't mine to fix. 
My eyes were closed most of the time in the beginning, so I could move in relationship to myself and my erotic energy. I was not there to perform. The confidence I grew in that space upgraded my capacity to shine with clear boundaries rather than repressing my energy to stay safe. If I turned someone on, I didn't have to worry that they would pressure me, violate me, or punish me for rejecting their advances. My inner animal began to rejoice. I sizzled like lightning, connecting heaven and earth. I drank heartily from the wellspring of life itself. This erotic awakening wasn't about sex. It was about enjoying myself and feeling pure, unfiltered, non-performance-based pleasure. The time has come to reclaim this powerful life energy and catalytic force of love, the journey. Each of us has a unique journey of discovering and expressing our sexuality. If your path was anything like mine, you likely encountered a series of trap doors and confusing messages and confusing messages along the way. Living in our modern day culture means we've all experienced some degree of repression of our vibrant erotic nature and sexual desire. It takes work to untangle distorted beliefs about erotic nature and sexual desire. Here's a few highlights from my journey of losing and reclaiming my sexual erotic power. Join me for a walk down memory lane. Childhood. My earliest memory of eroticism was when I was four years old, playing in the backyard with my brother in Ambar, Michigan. We spent hours raking fall. We spent hours raking fallen leaves into enormous piles. Then we raced at top speed and toppled together into the decaying cushion of, earth, of earthly smells, dirt, and moisture. Squealing with delight, we popped up to do it again and again and again. I felt alive, connected, intoxicated by the smells, laughter, connection, and joy. Our erotic nature is our capacity to open play, feel our sensual body, and create. My earliest memory of sexuality takes me back to five years old. My new neighbor from Japan and I would play doctor in my bedroom under blankets strewn across wooden chairs in our private fort. The curiosity to learn and discover each other's body seemed no different than building Legos together. When our play was discovered, I was confused and sad that we were forbidden to do it again. Distorted beliefs. Number one, pleasure and desire is bad and shameful. Keep things a secret if you don't want to lose them. Teenage years. As I grew into my teenage years, I received a lot of attention from boys, my older brothers, friends, and the older men in the neighborhood. While I enjoyed some of it, I also felt shy, embarrassed, and confused by the heat and power I felt when someone was attracted to me, especially when my desirability was mixed up with the pursuit of me as a conquest or trophy. By eighth grade, I had been elected, quote, unquote, most wanted on a desert island and, quote, unquote, and most looked at from behind. I was learning that people valued me most for my body shape and physical appearance. At one point, an older boy who had been held back to repeat school years had a crush on me. He followed me around like a hungry ghost, commenting on his feelings about my face and body. It scared me. One day in the lunch line, he pulled back his long black trench coat to reveal a shiny serrated knife cloaked in the interior pocket. Now I felt terror and confusion. Was he going to hurt me because I didn't like him back? Disorder belief number two. Your physicality and a body attract attention and some of it is dangerous. Keep quiet, get small, and maybe people will stop noticing you. My first experience of penetrative sex was being raped at 14 years old. Pause. She was... That's rape penetration. Take the word sex out. Because if you put this word sex in you're diminishing the forced bondage 
lifetime ordeals. So that's penetrative rape. There's more than one way to rape somebody. You can rape somebody sexually, not just sexually, but uh, intellectually, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, academically, financially, economically, socially, politically, racially, environmentally, globally, nationally, locally. Rape is an all-around devouring of a person's body and soul, heart and mind, as well as memories. It's a it's ambushing all of the five senses, including the sixth, sixth sense of a person. That's how devastating rape is. Rape is body and soul domination happening all at once and it's there's no words for it i felt so much shame and confusion i didn't tell anyone for three months that i hadn't had my cycle and thought i was pregnant i felt isolated and alone i also felt like i was to blame for his lack of control like there was something dangerous about me looking back i imagine my head felt just as isolated and shame well it's 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 very natural when you're hurt or have been hurt or will be hurt to analyze the pain causers. But regardless of what he felt, he was and is dead wrong and always will be dead wrong. And I've learned to stop analyzing perpetrators because there is no sound-minded reasoning for their wickedness so he was very demonic in his behavior so We have to be careful that we don't demonstrate false compassion. Um, Because false compassion means the dismissal of accountability, the hatred of justice, and unhealthy reconciliation. Distorted belief number three, to be safe, you shouldn't attract attention, flirt, or play. Sexuality is dangerous. You are dangerous. Young adulthood. Young adulthood, fast forward to my college years after traumatic sexual experience while in undergraduate school in San Diego. I moved to Chicago and landed in one of the most powerful and erotic relationships I had yet known with a man. We started to explore the vast landscape of sexual expression and play, and I woke up to my primal power. I let myself up to the potent healing of sexuality, play, discovery, and safety. 
It's just awesome when I learned that my wild and primal sexuality, even when it felt beautiful and free, could have dangerous and difficult consequences. I was stalked, strangers followed me home. A former boyfriend threatened to kill my fiance and angrily took a sex video we had filmed when we dated and posted on amateur porn sites. My fiance found it just a few months before our wedding. I was embarrassed, angry, and confused. I felt conflicted about my sexuality and its expression. How could such a natural and beautiful thing ignite such violence? Distorted belief number four, sex can be a threat to my safety and to my partnerships. Entering the world, entering the business world as a woman. My entry into the business world as a woman quickly showed me that my erotic nature and sexiness had little safe harbor there. I discovered that if I were to survive, my boundaries needed to be tight and consistent. I was often approached by men in, in monogamous marriages during conferences and corporate events to have dinner and sex, although I never complied. I navigated executives who claimed to have fallen in love with me, even though they didn't know me beyond their fantasy of my physical appearance and intellect. Telling these men, quote unquote, no, often resulted in me being dismissed from consulting teams or reassigned to other departments. I felt alone and unseen. Disorder belief number five, if you walk around juicy and alive, no one will take you seriously. At that time, I had no conceptual understanding that erotic energy is our life force, and that sexuality was only one channel for expression and catalytic power. I directed my time and energy towards a deep immersion as a runner and triathlete. Physical training helped me manage the powerful sexual energy coursing through my body. Sometime later, I left my corporate career in Chicago and moved to Colorado. There, I fell into a mysterious illness that lasted for close to six years. Medical tests left me without a diagnosis or prescribed path. I felt like a cracked vessel abandoned on a dark shelf as pain took over my body. I watched helplessly as my colleagues and friends advancing their careers and began to create families. During this time, I started, facil I started facilitating small groups for integral theory icon Ken, Wild Ken Wilbur. Through our transformational retreats, I met an incredible man who lit me up, but he was married. He called me a year after we parted ways, told me he was divorced, and invited me to visit him in the, in the Pacific Northwest. On our first night together, he told me he needed to go slow sexually, and I understood. Still, I felt a hunger for him that made my body hurt with longing. I lay in bed until 3 a.m., not wanting to override his boundary yet, not knowing what to do with the intense desire and sexual charge I was experiencing. This experience gave me great compassion for many of my male friends who had described the tension that builds when you want something yet can't have and must find a way to contain the energy. I felt the power of this wild sexual energy and thought to myself, it's scary to feel how out of control I could become. I was concerned that my sexual power was too intense, maybe even harmful. Distorted belief number six, your wild beast has no place in this world. Tie her up in a corner and keep everyone safe. Modern day, shamanic in initiation. Traditional shamanic paths are composed of rites of passages and initiations that often include long periods of aloneness, often in the dark wilderness of the primal world. And one indigenous culture initiate is required to fast, dig a hole in the ground, and bury oneself in the jungle for two nights while predatory creatures roam, sniff, and hunt above. My shamanic teachings came directly from the earth, stars, unseen world, and solitude. The modern-day initiation happened through physical illness, heartbreak, spiritual longing, and the magnetic call of nature. 
A few years into my health challenges, I moved to the mountains of Santa Cruz. I sent deeper into my meditation practice and studied various mind-body modalities and became my own science experiment. Through my direct experience, I studied human suffering patterns. The invitation was to break down the ways I was keeping myself a prisoner with survival-based strategies of fear and shame. I lived off of my savings, focusing exclusively on deconstructing layer after layer of conditioned ideas of who I was, who I needed to be, and how I was supposed to be living. I sat in silent meditation retreats multiple times a year with a spiritual teacher, an apprentice to learning who I was, to an apprentice to learning what was beyond the noise, fear, and controlling patterns of my mind. During the early days in California, I tried to resist the isolation and excruciating pain that kept me lying in bed alone. Yet this was what was before me, day after day, month after month. It became clear that my inner healing journey required solitude. Once I accepted this, I, was, I went even deeper inside myself. I lived close to the land and began to disintegrate, eventually resurrect. I received gifts from the land, the wild creatures who roamed the property and the spirits of the sacred place. These were the allies who fiercely and gently taught me the ways of the shaman, the one who communes with the unseen realms, received messages and calls exile parts home breaker number one expand your self-awareness you can't adjust what you're not aware of be honest about where you place your attention it's harder to adjust what you resist acknowledging bring whom bring humor into your deconstructing bring humor into your deconstruction process what started to become clear to me is that as much as i wanted partnership a family and a successful career my soul was asking me to go on a deep quest through the veil of separation my destination was a homecoming, a remembrance of my inherent connection to all of life. It could only happen if I pierced through my illusions and control mechanisms. I needed to learn to welcome the unexpected and let it guide me home rather than try to fix, change, or feel victimized by it. Healing arises when we accept that what we think we want isn't always what we need. I also say healing arises when we accept that who we think we want isn't always who we need. The quote-unquote obstacle of being bedridden for weeks due to physical pain and exhaustion became one of my greatest initiations. The natural world became a safe place and a mirror to rediscover my erotic nature. I reveled in the ever-present life force that pulsed through my body while floating in the lake, gazing at the stars, and listening to the small flock of baby turkeys and hens coo in the early morning hours. I felt the delicate sensation of a dragonfly landing on my belly as I lay gazing up at the moss-covered oak tree, who I affectionately called Granddaddy. I realized that life is designed to present us with the perfect conditions to awaken our heart, our power, and our openness to all of life, and the catalysts for transformation are often gritty, painful, and challenging. Celibacy and self-pleasure. At that point, I was celibate, choosing instead to focus on my own pleasure. This started to open a portal of juicy aliveness for me, which led me on a wild, multi-agasmic journey. I, I apprenticed to the energy of pure desire that was initiated not by lover, but by the natural world, my five senses and my throbbing body and pelvis. I connected I connected to frequencies of energy and transformations that often felt so big. I wasn't sure my body could hold it all after orgasm. I know now that the life force release 
during these orgasms what broke apart the trauma patterns and tension that are being held captive in my body and causing the intense chronic pain. Breakthrough number two, erotic and sexual energy is a force of healing and pleasure. Your erotic nature is your essence. It longs to open you and remind you that you are a creative force of love. Let's do these two breakthroughs. Breakthrough number one, expand your self-awareness. You can't adjust what you're not aware of. Be honest about where you place your attention. It's harder to adjust what you resist acknowledging. Bring humor into your deconstruction process. And let's go back to number two, breakthrough number two. Erotic and sexual energy is a force of healing and pleasure. Your erotic nature is your essence. It longs to open you and remind you that you are a creative force of love. The, the return. As I began to open and flower again, I moved to Aceline and Big Sur. I didn't know why my intense symptoms had begun to lift, but I recovered while I studied and became an Aceline massage therapist. Finally, I returned to Colorado and re-engaged in another period of celibacy as my energy integrated and grounded. I wasn't fully able to make sense of my erotic energy and sexuality yet. I wrestled with my desire for more sexual play and the disappointment of this need not being met, while spirit guided me back to my inner temple. It was a time of embracing integration, accepting rest for the moment. I didn't feel turned on by most people anymore. I felt angry about this at times. It felt like an isolating punishment. Yet whenever I went out to the natural world, I was instantly orgasmic. As much as I wanted to return to culturally quote-unquote normal sexuality, I was being groomed for something else. But I didn't know, but I didn't know that yet. But I discovered that trying to fix or change something often creates more suffering. I had to call upon and trust something bigger than my personality and allow the wisdom I sought to be revealed to me rather than chasing it. Thy will be done became my mantra as I navigated my confusion. Deep down, I took comfort in a new sense of communion with all of life and it was blissful. I was re-emerging with a desire to help others come home to the fullest and most alive expression of themselves, to taste intimacy with all of life and to feel the power of erotic life force surge from within rather than solely seeking this union from the outside. Breakthrough number three, surrender. Trust your life challenges and experiences as your teachers. Not my will, but thy will be done. She wasn't being religious when she said that, by the way. Embodied sexuality is dynamic. Sexuality has been infused with confusing messages that drive performance anxiety, feelings of inadequacy and disembodiment. This is the time for a change of radical healing. There's a collective call to bring the pains of our past to the surface as fuel for compassion, growth, and change. Embodied sexuality is a lifelong discovery. What turns us on and how to engage with our partners' differing desires and needs. In order to uncover our joy and pleasure, we have to dig through our shadows and condition misunderstandings. It isn't about arriving or perfection. It's a practice of honest self-reflection and a commitment to our dynamic and powerful nature. This story barely scratches the surface of the limited beliefs I inherited and the subsequent breakthroughs I've experienced. I'm in an ever-evolving experimental and learning process. And I intend to write and share more about additional sexual initiations, challenges, and breakthroughs. I'll be designing and facilitating group retreats for group retreats for us to accelerate this process of deconstructing shame, understanding our limiting beliefs, finding expanding expanded ways of being together. 
As my beliefs about my sexuality, safety, and power continue to unwind and recalibrate, I'm experiencing a new way of being. My sense of freedom has grown as I've learned to set boundaries in ways I never knew was an option. Though my certification training and role as an assistant the following year in the Somatica Method of Sex and Intimacy Coaching Program, I've learned to spot the ways that I protect myself from intimacy instead of leaning in. For example, I've learned to notice when I withhold my desire for fear of being rejected or judged as too much. As a young woman, I was taught to let men approach me not to be aggressive and go for what I want. This was a central disempowering message in my generation. As a woman now, I am committed to noticing what I desire, feeling the power of my clarity and clearly communicating it sexually and non-sexually. I feel liberation in my body when I take the risk to express it regardless of the outcome. I want to be all that I am unapologetically and trust my yes and my no without justifications. This is a continual work in progress for me and for all my clients. We're not supposed to be perfect. We're all invited onto a path to take risk, meet disappointment and challenges and discover that being alive in one's truth is both hot and deeply satisfying. I feel more joy, I feel more juicy every time I muster the curse to be bold, to love big, to be vulnerable, and to stand in the wake of any impact or hurt I feel as a result of not hiding. I'd rather dance in the open field than crouch in the safety of the brush and hide my desires. Breaking number four, embodied sexuality requires presence, listening, and tracking how I show up to be my most authentic sexual self. I need to see what protective strategies I am subconsciously playing out to attract love and connection. Embodiment is a moment-to-moment -moment practice. There is no arrival of perfection. Let's create a movement together. I don't have all the answers to my own sexual exploration or integration process because it's a dynamic and multifaceted exploration of moment-to-moment -moment discovery. It's a journey. I'm not meant to be perfectly packaged in this area or any other area of my life, and neither are you. Growth and healing happens by meeting directly what presents itself along the way, being willing to accept when we have outgrown our limited beliefs. Every emotion, shame, story, judgment, fear, and sense of not enoughness needs a place to be revealed and dissolved by love. Sexuality is a powerful doorway that reveals layers beneath the surface. Let us create a movement where we collectively explore how to be present, juicy, empowered, and attuned. I wish for a world where our sensual power source can be used to heal and integrate our mind, body, spirit, rather than separate and dismantle it. We can bring the cast out parts of ourselves, the shadows of shame and misperception, back into the heart. When we merge our erotic sexual power with love and integrity, we catalyze a great evolutionary shift that benefits every species on this planet of beauty that holds us all. If my story resonates with you, if it calls forth parts of your own story and reclaiming your truth and your erotic sexual power, I invite you to walk together with me beyond the matrix of fear and shame. Share your story, speak your desires, let yourself be seen. Let's stand by each other's sides as we remember that beyond ego patterns and beyond cultural conditioning, we are love. We are each other's powerhouses of catalytic energy, teeming with pure potential. To be seen is to remember. Let's do this together.
trying to see if I have done I'll read this though. Sexual in uh, Authenticity by Kimberly Johnson. I'm always trying to open up the suitcase of sex, rifling around to see what's in there. It's fascinating in my own life because sex has been such rich territory of learning. It hasn't always been easy. Like most of us, I didn't get great sex education. I learned on the fly, bumbling around, thinking everyone else knew more than I did, imagining that somehow everyone else got the memo. I wonder if I was doing okay if the other person thought I was quote-unquote good. There wasn't a lot of room for authentic self-expression because I was spending most of the time on the outside looking in, unsure about what the expectations were and unsure of what was on or off limits. I wondered if I compared well to past lovers. I was actually a bit obsessed with being the best. I, I admit I still want that. I had no experience or felt a sense of what loving, connected, pleasurable sex and intimacy might look or feel like in or out of commitment. I was always wondering what quote-unquote normal boundaries and limits were. I compared myself to what my friends were doing and what they felt comfortable with. Or rather, I compared myself to what my friends said they were doing and said they felt comfortable with. She put said in capital letters. Now that I work in the realm of sex, I know that what my friends were saying, what was actually happening, was probably pretty different. One thing that I've learned from working in the realm of sex is that it is not quote-unquote what you see is what you get. Someone may present themselves in life in a way that we interpret as quote-unquote sexual type, revealing clothing, lots of lipstick. That person may have never experienced pleasurable sex. Another woman might have greasy hair and old clothes and not only getting a ton of action, but also fired up about her erotic life. How we show ourselves to the world and how we show up in the bedroom and outside the bedroom are not necessarily at all congruent. I hope that news reaches you and breathe a sigh of relief. This is important to know because comparison can be a major obstacle to authenticity. An authentic life is the only truly satisfying life. When we imagine the kind of quantity of sex that everyone else is probably having or everyone else wanting, we usually throw our own full expression, whatever that might look like. We spend more time placing ourselves in the imaginary gr grid of quality and performance and imagining in real time what our next step of Inquiry and fascination might be that is in alignment with our soul path. To move from comparison to authenticity, I suggest the path of rewilding. Coming back to original nature before the conditioning from our culture began. To know what we truly enjoy, how to ask for it, and how to express it. We need to know what's possible. We need to, de to, de to decondition from what magazines, societies, and our friends have told us is quote-unquote normal or desirable. The first step in rewilding is simply naming your sensations. In self-pleasure or sex, this looks like slowing way down. Let your lover know you like to go slower, maybe a quarter of the, maybe a quarter of the speed you normally do. Name your sensations out loud as you touch one another. This is a way to get out of the quote-unquote outside-in approach and back into an outside-out approach. That is, you will be naming what's truly going on inside of you and bring that in the room bring that into the room instead of trying to do or feel what you think you should do or feel anytime you find yourself slipping into old patterns like tolerating a touch that doesn't feel wonderful take a moment breathe and gently ask for something different a great way to do this is to say that touch doesn't feel good to me right now it was working for me but now i'd like you to try fill in the blank practice requesting neutrally and request a different touch as soon as you notice you're tolerating many of us have tolerated for so long a request for a different touch can come out like a whine or a complaint. Stay true to yourself and your own experience while staying compassionate to your lover at the same time. 
Another wonderful way to read Wild to deliberately is not shower before sex. Don't do your makeup and go in a bit messy, a bit more human than you might normally go into it. Slowly get comfortable with your true self. Allow your lover to do the same. Discover your core erotic theme, a concept introduced by Jack Marin in his book, The Erotic Mind, by analyzing a few of your favorite sexual experiences. Write down a few of the standout erotic moments in your life and go back and read them to find the common elements. Were you in a long distance relationship and loved? Fantasizing about your partner before finally falling into bed again? Does nature, the full moon, or water, or the forest often play a part in those memories? Or maybe you love either fantasizing about or having sex in places where you might get caught. Once you sense a theme emerging, you can work with it to create powerful experiences that highlight your favorite elements and attend to your core erotic theme. You can bring more and more of your authentic sexuality to your repertoire. Sexual authenticity is a journey. Sexuality lives and breathes, has the ability to transform and grow along with us. Bringing consciousness to your true sexual desires and your patterns allows you to change the trajectory of your sexuality and bring it into alignment with who you are. Instead of reassigning to sex as you think it should be, create sex as though it were art or meditation because it is. At its best, sex is a co-created moment to an experience that has the ability to transform. That was Maga Mama. Maga Mama by Kimberly Johnson. And her email is Kimberly at MagaMama.com. So making sure that I'm reading all the articles I really have been planning on. Okay. May 27, 2019, Fantasies, what they teach us about our erotic architecture. Have you ever wondered what your fantasies reveal about your deeper self? Our sexual fantasies are powerful doorways to make conscious what we long for, which often includes healing, missing experiences from childhood. A fantasy is an imagined situation or mental stimulation that allows us to live out a need or desire. In fantasy, we dive into an imaginal realm and experience a feeling we long to feel. Fantasies are normal and unfortunately we often feel shame about them. Much of what we fantasize about while self-pleasuring isn't necessarily what we want to play out in real time. For the sake of this article, I want to focus on how fantasies serve as a gold mine into the deeper needs and desires they represent in our psyche. The intention of your erotic nature is to serve your heroic journey of embodied leadership through the unique ways your soul is seeking integration into the sea with all of life. In my article, what drives our sexual arousal? Explore the roots of sexual arousal and how to investigate our turn-on template to deepen connection both with ourselves and with our intimate partners. Our desire is to investigate the wholeness of our human experience, including our sexual and erotic nature as a means to crack open into deeper freedom in all aspects of our lives. Unlocking what lies in subconscious mind and bringing it into conscious awareness helps us understand how we operate. It gives us the capacity, it gives us the opportunity to create more self-love conscious choice and compassion for ourselves and others 
as we navigate the complexity of being human. The intention of this article is to focus on how fantasies provide important information about our unique needs related so intimacy, both sexual and non-sexual. While sexual fantasies can boost arousal and pleasure, they can also serve the key purpose of providing insight into missing experiences of safety, connection, power, freedom, and worthiness that we are unconsciously seeking to fulfill. The interdependent nature of feelings, fantasy, and sex. In addition to our biological impulse to procreate and experience pleasure, we come to sex to fulfill a need to feel something specific. Today, I'm going to offer you various entry points to study your fantasy life. And if you think I don't fantasize, stay with me because you may not realize the ways in which you do fantasize every day. You may not fantasize about sexual acts, but you may very well consciously or not fantasize about relational situations, scenarios that are designed to catalyze very specific feelings that you long to experience. These fantasies fulfill the same purpose as a sexual fantasy. They arrive to answer a deeper longing or need. We may long to feel the admiration or love of another, be validated for our skills and abilities to feel held safe or to stand up to an oppressor. We are imaginative creatures. Our daydreams and longings hold the stories of our losses and secret hopes. We're, we're going to look at fantasies, including daydreams and longings, using the following two keys. One, what we want to feel through intimacy and sex. Two, the missing experiences that our intimacy and sex life are guiding us toward fulfilling as a means of integration and healing. Missing experiences are a conglomeration of developmental needs that were missed consistently enough throughout our childhood that they let they gapped in our psyche and consequently an imprint to be relived and healed in future relationships. An incomplete experience will drive us to seek to repair the pattern in our adult relationships, often subconsciously. What are your turn-ons? and sexual fantasies. We may have sex purely for pleasure, but what exact but what actually gives us pleasure? And but who actually gives us pleasure? That too. Many times we experience pleasure when a feeling we long to have fulfilled is experienced during sex. Do you know what underlying longings drive your desire for sexual intimacy? For example, do you want to feel special, loved, accepted, confident, valuable? Do you want to merge into divine union with another if you're like me, you may seek the freedom to express your primal and <laughs> slow down. If you're like me, you may seek the freedom to express your primal animal without shame or withholding. Here's the part where I talk. I do want to seek the freedom to express my primal animal without shame or withholding. I'm urging to divine union with an, with other people, even though I'm a secular person, and they're not super religious people either. So I know I feel special love, accepted, confident, and valuable to myself. And I get and I help and I know my partners feel that way about themselves. And we feel those ways together. Maybe you're turned on by the feelings that come with being humiliated and punished, followed by love and reassurance. Mapping the feelings that we seek to experience throughout our sexuality can feel mysterious and confusing at times. The range of feelings that we each seek through sexual connection are vast and span across various aspects of ourselves, including our psychology, physical, energetic wiring, personal constitution, emotional nature, spiritual path, and so on. Most often, the feeling and sexual experiences we seek are secretly in service of feeling something incomplete 
our psyche from childhood. Unveiling and understanding your inner landscape empowers you with conscious choice. It makes it easier to clearly ask for what you want and open doors to more intimacy. This process is greatly accelerated when we are aware of the feelings we seek to experience through sex. Self-inquiry. What do you know about your fantasy life? Do you have one? Do you trust it, judge it, or feel shame about it? Have you had a recurrent sexual fantasy since you've been sexually active? Do you express and explore sexual fantasies in partnership? Do you watch porn? If so, what turns you on and what doesn't? If so, who turns you on and who doesn't? What feelings do you seek to experience through sex? Love, belonging, power, control, play, intimacy, and etc. What turns you on the most? What feelings does it bring up? What shuts down your sexual appetite? What feelings does it bring up? Who shuts down your sexual appetite? What feelings do they bring up? Three entry points to discover your fantasy hotspots. There are a number of entry points to identify the specific feelings that drive us toward or away from sexual expression. Below are three hotspots to further uncover your fantasy life and the feelings you seek through sex. One, the moments when heat rises. Two, your missing experiences. Three, your hottest sexy channels. One, the moment when heat rises. Jack Moore, an author of Erotic Mind, suggests that if we want to uncover the feelings that drive our erotic mind through studying our fantasies, we can reflect on what we're imagining or feeling just prior to orgasm or peak arousal. Yes, exploring the liftoff just prior to orgasm is one entry point. Let's expand this to include fantasies that begin to stir arousal as we self-pleasure or have sex with our partner and our partners. If you fantasize during sex, what feelings are your images pointing you to? Do you imagine that other people are watching or playing with you? Fantasies can also be explored with a partner through role play. In this case, study the archetypes and roles you feel turned on by and associate the feelings they listen in you. Ask yourself, what are my go-to fantasies and self-pleasure during sex? Pay attention to the situation, people, and sensations. What clues do they give you as to the feeling you're seeking? Some examples to play with. Are you being worshipped, dominating someone into pleasure? Being begged by your lover to give them what they want, receiving the attention of multiple people at once? Do you want to be in charge, telling people what you want while they're eager to please you? Do you want to be the center of attention, calling on the shots and being the one in control? Do you want to be taken against your own will but are secretly turned on by this form of helplessness because you want to feel desired, passively devoured, and out of control, while at the same time feeling safe? Are you being given permission by a hungry lover to consume them or to be consumed by them? If so, does this situation heighten your need to feel desired? Or does feeling safe to surrender your will to another's appetite desire allow you to let go of shame, control, and tension? Play with various scenarios and see what you can discover. Play with various scenarios and see what you discover, it says. Self-inquiry. When you want to be aroused or to experience greater sexual pleasure, what is the fantasy that would be the very most likely to arouse you? Describe the climax, the most intense point of excitement in this fantasy. What are you thinking and feeling just before orgasm? Pay attention to what you want to feel in these scenarios. Do you want to feel love, seen, degraded, powerful, exposed, desired, precious, disgusted, competent? Journal exercise. Think of back over all your sexual encounters. Allow your mind to focus on two specific encounters that were among the most arousing of your entire life. Journal about each one and then harvest the feelings that you were seeking through each one. Is there overlap between them? Common themes or feelings you seek? What are your ideas about what made each of these encounters so exciting? Two, missing experiences. As a child, when our needs are neglected, not attuned to, or missing, or missing up times, 
The fear and hurt related to these misses become woven into the fabric of our belief system and our sense of self-worth. This is what we call a missing experience. A missing experience is a social and emotional need that when missed enough times in our early development causes deep pain and confusion or a feeling separation of belonging or worthiness. While missing experiences range far and wide, they're usually related to five developmental needs. We all share five universal needs that come along, that come online sequentially from our time in the womb to the age of seven or eight and lay the foundation for our belief systems about ourselves, our relationships, and the world we live in. As we grow up, this internal blueprint is typically reinforced through our life experiences as well as the people and situations we attract. When we are, quote unquote, missed or only met with intimate frequency in any of our multiple of these areas, we create adaptive strategies. Adaptive strategies protect us from the pain and powerlessness we experience when developmental needs are missed. These adaptive behaviors repeated over time become subconscious autopilot superhighways that play out again and again in our relationships and in our internal world. They become part of our operating system and personality patterns. While these adaptions may have served us at one time, often when manifesting in our adult life, they tend to limit us and prevent us from receiving what we need. So I'll do this again. Seeking safety and security breeds creative introvert. Seeking connection and support breeds self-reliant, other-reliant. Seeking power and dignity breeds charming, persuasive, strong, generous. Seeking freedom and individuality breeds rebel, responsible, enduring. Seeking validation and worth breeds achiever, expressive, entertaining. Fantasizing is one of the adaptive strategies many children innocently take on. As children, we use fantasy as a wise method to metabolize the pain of missing experiences. We self-soothe through fantasy, focusing on an imagined situation and feeling that would counterbalance the missing experience or unanswered need we're having. For example, if a child feels lonely or lacks nourishing relationships, then the child might construct an imaginary friend to fulfill a nurturing, bonded, and safe relationship. Children often use imagination as a creative means of getting their needs met. As we grow up, our subconscious mind will search for the specific people and conditions that will elicit the distinct feelings we sought to fulfill as children. This is the way our being aims to repair a core wound or missing experience and resolve the looping behaviors associated with the loss. This process plays out interestingly when it comes to sexual fantasy, for example. If you felt invisible, forgotten, and didn't receive the attention you craved as a child, then one way of coping with these feelings may have been to daydream about experiences in which you're the center of the universe and all attention is poured upon you. As a child, maybe your imaginary friend gave you this attention or you gained this attention by becoming an accomplished student or athlete. In your adult life, this longing may subconsciously turn into a fantasy of being adored, worshipped, and, de and devotedly focused upon. You may seek to attract partners who will intensely focus you in this way, or you may draw upon these fantasies when you self-pleasure. Learn more about missing experiences in my Power of Reclamation map and discover the role of adaptive strategies and the way they shaped our personality and adult relationships patterns. Self-inquiry. What missing experiences do you feel you may have from childhood? What, need, what needs felt unmet or missed? Did you ever daydream or fantasize as a child to fulfill certain missing experiences? What longings or desires tend to feel unfilled, unfulfilled in your present-day romantic relationships? Can you remember experiencing similar feelings when you were young? What missing experience do you feel you may be seeking to resolve through sex and intimacy, or through attracting certain types of pat uh, or attracting certain types of partners? Ooh, okay. 
Lastly, okay, three, your hottest sexy channels of arousal. The hottest sexy channel is a composition of certain situations, conditions, gestures, words, touch, and energy and become woven into our most desired sexual experiences. In short, your hottest sexy channels, HSC, represent what you most desire to experience sexually. They are clear indicators of the feelings you seek to experience through intimacy. In addition, they can serve as allies in your journey to heal, integrate, and repair core wounds and associated missing experiences that drive them. While there are many ways we like to seduce and be seduced, there are usually one or two specific channels of arousal that elicit the most intensity and pleasure for us. We also find ourselves turning to different channels with different partners or as we change and evolve. The menu is ever-changing, as is our appetite for growth, play, and healing. While there are a number of sexual turn-on channels, we're going to dive into the five most common ones. Studying these channels is a fun exploration. You can do, you can do it solo and make it a fun exercise with your partner and your partners. You can begin by taking an inventory of what movies, books, and art you find yourself drawn towards. As you do, start to notice what are the specific feelings that get stirred in you and why does that feel good to you. For example, one of my favorite movies is called Dangerous Beauty. It's full of romance, passion, and power. The main character, Veronica Lynn, is a poet, sapiosexual, Curtis and Leach, who brings passionate and heartfelt medicine to the men and demons. Eventually, she's accused of being a witch and danger to society by the church's inquisition. Her accusers prosecute her, denouncing the way she seduces and catalyzes passion, love, and emotional connection with the men she serves as a courtesan. It turns me on the most are the power dynamics and the impact of the patriarchy hunting her and threatening execution. In contrast, the men who defend in course correct history by standing behind a courageous woman who risks her life to stand in her truth and heart in order to change the rights of women. She stands for love and passion, not sin, not sin and shame. Since power is one of my favorite channels, this movie stirs me, but what I like is that it's also peppered with romance and passion, which I enjoy as well. Below are five general channels of arousal to help you identify aspects of your erotic arm. Below are five general channels of arousal to help you identify aspects of your erotic architecture. As you read each one, notice whether you feel a spark or a flat line. One, romantic. Are you aroused by feeling cherished? or by telling your lover how precious and special they are? Do you get turned on by sweeping your partner off your feet or by being rescued and taken care of? Do you enjoy surprise gifts, romantic dates, flowers, and courting rituals? Do you love expressions of affection through soft, slow, sensual touch? Do you melt when your lover says your name softly as they run their hands through your hair or across your cheek? Do you long to hear that you are the one that you hold your lover's affection and attention forever? Even if you know it's not necessarily going to last forever. The idea may create a sense of safety, turn on, and heat in you. If you're a romantic, romantic turn on tends to be less overtly sexual, more about cherishing, safety, feeling special, and chosen. Too passionate, do you get turned on by imagining you and your lover tearing each other's clothes off with a primal hunger in the kitchen, in the car, anywhere? This is passionate play. Do you grin at the words, I want you so bad I can't hold back, I want to eat you alive? You may like the thrill of transmitting through your eyes and body, primal hunger, where you may crave to be a willing prey, quivering, stalked, consumed. The lead up to this kind of unfettered desire is often driven, is often driven by primal impulse or tension built over time through limited availability or access to your lover. Three power dynamics. Do you melt when your partner knows exactly what they want? Do you yearn to trust them enough to surrender and be taken? Or do you crave total control? Both roles of dominance and submission are expressions of power. 
Pimping play arises when one partner leaves a desire and power dominance while the other feels safe to be an object of their partner's full attention, care, desire, and commanding presence submission. We live in a culture where dominance has caused a tremendous amount of violence, fear, and repression. Dominance doesn't have to be violent. In fact, it can be loving and nurturing. Mutual consent can be an empowering container. This channel of turn on can activate healing and connection through exchanging power and attunement in a safe space of play and clear consent. Four, spiritual. Do you feel turned on by gazing into someone's eyes and feeling the depth of their soul? Do you make love in ways that open you to a sense of yourself beyond your physical senses? There's a multitude of ways in, in which the spiritual channel can be defined. For me, it's a very selfful expression of the sacred nature of sexual energy and healing. To come into union with myself or in partnership, it is, it is to consciously embrace loving and creative purpose. To explore the transcendent aspect of sexual union, whether it's rough or gentle, is to meet parts of oneself or lover with an intention to melt barriers and layers of protection. It includes spirals of healing, contraction, expansion, and embodied integration of more parts of self through one another. I find it has a particular vulnerability and nakedness that is beyond our physical body. It channels about subtle openness and awareness, remembering oneness, experiencing cosmic love emerging through sexual expression. Five, eco-sex, are you most turned on in the natural world? Maybe you get aroused by the smell of warm, salty air in the tropics or by plunging in cold rivers and warming on sun-heated rocks or by wrestling in the grass smelling the earth. You enjoy feeding your lover sensual foods. Does the opening of flowers make you quiver? If so, you may be an ecosexual, one who makes love of the earth with the earth through your senses. Ecosex for me has included unexpected shamanic awakenings that I've had with nature, making love with life and experiencing spontaneous ecstatic and orgasmic healing from the energy I receive from the earth and natural world. These are just a few common channels of turn-ons. You may also want to take the exploration further about the combination of the above or your own unique channel of arousal, which may not be mentioned here. If you're still not sure, take notice of the kinds of movies you watch and what scenes turn you on. For romantics, it might be movies like Sleepless in Seattle that draw you. For Power to Nap, it's nine and a half weeks and Fifty Shades of Grey that get you hot. For passion, it might be a movie scene in which the lovers are passionately tearing each other's clothes off before they even step through the front door. Four ingredients that contribute to your sexy channel. Of arousal. Real quick, I am the type of person that enjoys myself and my lovers passionately tearing each other's clothes off before we can step through the front door. Um, making love with life, experiencing spontaneous, ecstatic, and orgasmic healing from the energy I received from the earth and natural world. That's all me. Ecosex me has included an inspected shamanic awakenings that I've had with nature. That's me, all me. So let me do this again. My, my general channels of arousal are romantic, me, passionate, me, power dynamics, me. Dominance and submission, me. Spiritual, me. Ecosex, me. Ecosexual, me. I'm sapiosexual. I'm sapiophile. Yet again. These are my hot, sexy channels in particular. You know. 
and nakedness me now I can move on four ingredients that contribute to your sexy channels of arousal We've talked about how erotic mind and fantasies contain various images and ideas which represent what we want to experience and feel through sex. Now let's get more granular. And look at the physical expressions and experiences that can further your study of your hottest sexual channels. During my training to become a Somatica Method Relationship and Sexuality Coach, learned about these HSCs and four ingredients to deepen our relationship with each one. The following four ingredients have a multi- have a multitude of expressions that increase or decrease turn on for each of us. We're unique, ever-evolving beings. These ingredients point to how we want to be approached, touched, spoken to, and attuned to. The four areas are one, gestures, two, verbal expressions, three, touch, four, energy. One, gestures. Gestures are acts of service that are focusing on expressing a desire, love, adoration, and affection. One, a manic channel. These gestures, these gestures that convey that you're the most important person in the world to me Here's how I'll remind you and show you today. For example, this could be surprising a part of my drawing a bath for them as they arrive home after a long day. Uh, planning a romantic evening, sending a text during the day about how special they are to you, or secretly stashing a love note in their wallet or luggage as they depart for a trip. Two, passionate channel. These are gestures that convey an unadulterated hunger that must be satiated now. For example, addressing one another with a fervent urgency primal hunger before getting through the front door or intensely looking to a lover's eyes with this message I want to consume you okay so I do romantic channel gestures and I uh, I do passionate channel gestures three power channel these gestures are ways to engage a power differential or in partners holding the reins and the others surrendering. For example, blindfolding, spanking for pleasure, using handcuffs or tying with rope to take control and show who is boss. I do power channel gestures. For a spiritual channel, spiritual channel, these gestures are ways to express cosmic union and a sense of sacredness with one another. For example, eye gazing into the depths of each other's soul, lighting candles, setting up an altar, preparing attention, meditation, or brief practice for your lover. I do spiritual channel gestures. Five, eco-sex channel. These gestures could look like planning a day, hiking in the mountains with a blanket to lay upon and make love on, or a river plunging, following, drying together naked on a rock worn by the sun. I do eco-sex channel gestures. And remember... Gestures are acts of service that are focused on expressing our desire, love, adoration, and affection. Two, verbal expressions. These are the words that are used as a form of verbal seduction. Finding the words or statement that turn you on in your partner or, or can be a fun exercise in self-discovery process. One, romantic channel. Verbal expressions may include themes of long-term dreams together, beauty, specialness, and sentiments of being together forever. 
some examples are I'm so lucky to be with someone as special as you. Being with you makes me feel more complete and whole. I don't want to be with anyone but you ever. I do romantic channel verbal expressions. I do romantic channel forms of verbal seduction. Two, passionate channel. Verbal expressions may sound like I want to eat you alive. I can't get enough of you. You turn me on like I've never been before. I can't wait to be inside of you and taste you. I do passionate channel verbal expressions. I do passionate channel forms of verbal seduction. Three, power channel. Verbal expressions may sound more like commands. Some examples of commands with permission or praise are, spread your legs and show me your pussy. Did I tell you that you could get up? No, get back on your knees until I tell you that you can move. Good boy, I love when you listen and don't talk back to me. Some commands may be more disproving, such as you're a dirty slut, or you call that cleaning my boots. Get back on your knees and scrub again until I'm satisfied with your efforts. I do power channel verbal expressions. I do power channel forms of verbal seduction. For a spiritual channel, verbal expressions may be chanting, singing to one another, or other tributes to one spiritual path. This may look like sitting face-to-face -face initially without words to slow down and feel each other's presence beyond agenda and time constraints. When a deeper sense of meaning, meeting is filled energetically, express to your lover how you experience their medicine in bed with you, but also in the world at large. You exchange the depths of seeing to each other's exquisite superpowers and gifts. I do spiritual channel verbal expressions. I do spiritual channel forms of verbal seduction. Five, eco-sex channel. Verbal expressions may sound like the noises of various non-human creatures slash creations or the sounds of the earth. For me, I like to wrestle outside on the grass. Sounds can range from thrills of delight when I'm being tickled to primal growls as I assert my power to keep pace with my partner's attempt to pin me. I do eco-sex channel verbal expressions. I do eco-sex channel forms of verbal seduction. And by the way, I do romantic, passionate, power, spiritual, eco-sex channels of acts of services. All right. Three, touch. Touch is a way to deepen contact internally. Let's look at the nuances of each channel. One, romantic channel. Expressions of touch might be softly stroking a lover's face, softly, lightly kissing the back of your lover's neck until goosebumps appear, making slow and deep love without a need to force or hurry, or giving a foot massage while telling your lover all the reasons you love them. I do romantic channel touching. I do romantic channel deepening, contacting, and turn awning. Two, passionate channel. Expressions of passionate touch often include more physical exertion in the romantic channel. Some examples are grabbing a partner, forcefully pushing them against the wall until they're pressed against you for your passionate devouring, crawling around on the floor like wild animals with wrestling, biting, licking, and sucking each other. I do passionate channel touching. I do passionate channel deepening, contacting, and turn on -ing. Three, 
power channel. Similarly to gestures, this may include blindfolding, spanking for pleasure, using handcuffs, or tying with rope. Touch may be requested with specific commands ranging from gentle and soft to wild and rough. I do power channel touching. I do power channel deepening, contacting, and turn oning. For a spiritual channel, spiritual touch may be massaging a lover's whole body for ecstatic pleasure and in a divine union rather than chasing an orgasm. A quality of touch that sinks beyond the skin and into the essence of one's being. Instead of spoken words, you may hear through what you feel with your hands, lips, mouth, which is no less powerful and real than a verbalized tongue. I do spiritual channel touching. I do spiritual channel deepening, contacting, and turn on it. Five, ecosex channel. This kind of touch may include rolling in the mud, swimming in a lake out to a raft to have sex or sex under your favorite tree on a blanket. I do ecosex channel touching. I do ecosex channel deepening, contacting, and turn on. All right. Four, energy. Well, this is an area that's harder to describe because the subtle language on the song will discuss various flavors and energetic qualities that come with each channel. One, romantic channel. Romantic energy usually feels soft and safe. It brings the feeling of being protected by love and safe to be our true selves because we're loved and adored. Two, passionate channel. Passionate energy feels primal and animal-like as we claw, bite, or nibble on our lover's ear. We bring an energy of, I want you now, my hunger is unquenchable. Three, power channel. For the dominant person, energy is of, I'm in charge and you'll be taken care of by me. You can choose to be good or bad and I'll respond to your behavior in whatever way I please. You have no rights here because you are mine. It's commanding and confident and conveys your mind. With the submissive, the energy is of surrender. It can feel like no mind as your dominant partner takes care of you, surrendering with trust. Even when your partner may use tactics of punishment through spanking, flogging, biting, tying up, and so on, energy might have a blend of fear and excitement. Four, spiritual channel. Spiritual energy is often an expansive state of being. It feels like union, synergy, and emerging. I notice a particular quality of presence when I'm kissing my lover's body. I lose track of where we begin and end. Or when I close my eyes and sense love filling the room and us both. This occurs when we're engaged in expressive power dynamics play or quite meditative time. The actions aren't as relevant as the energy of wholeness, timeliness, and utter trust and safety, and safety to be as big as I slash we want to be together. Five, ecosex channel. Ecosex energy holds a sense of communion with the natural world that often fills the space with innocence, wonder, joy, and playfulness. For me, this energy feels enlivened as the sounds of the birds and crickets soften my heart and quiet my mind as my body pulses with life. In these moments, I am awash with a desire to drink in the warmth of connection with all of life. I have romantic channel energy. I have passionate channel energy. I have power channel energy. I have spiritual channel energy. And I have ecosex channel energy. Exploring sexy channels in a relationship. When you're conscious or your channels of arousal with ingredients contribute to them, you can understand the nuances of what turns you on or off. This allows you to ask for what you want and better identify your partners as channels of arousal. This exploration also, this exploration also provides more room for dynamism and play between you and your lover. You can create arousal maps and share them with each other. 
so they can be kind of templates for how you can expand the ways you play and experiment together. Often this process heightens arousal, deepens sexual satisfaction and intimacy. Conversely, exploring arousal maps may help you identify where there's a clash or conflict between you and your partner's needs and desires. If one of you is highly romantic while the other is inclined towards dominance and submission, there may, there may a gap to close. Yet, in my experience, sometimes we don't know what's possible or what we like until we expand our exploration in a safe container of trust and play. The more you know about yourself and share with each other, the more you tap into a broader range of potential solutions explorations that can embrace and address differences in deeply powerful and nourishing ways. Mapping your hottest play date with your partner or lover. Ready to take it even further? If you want a deep dive into your internal sexual landscape, I encourage you to sketch the perfect scene with your lover. This exercise builds intimacy with yourself and arouses the creativity of your erotic mind. If done with a partner, this fun exploration can be a means to learn more about one another and spice up your sexy menu together. One, the setting. What does the environment look like? Are you indoors or outdoors? Are people around or are you bubbled into your own private space? Do you have music playing, candles, food, wood burning in the fireplace or rain falling on the sky lights above you? Is it daytime or nighttime? How much time do you have? Are you luxuriating, are you luxuriating in time or do you only have a small window to work with so that pleasure to move quickly is woven into your turn on. Two gestures. Drawing on the examples of gestures listed earlier, which one sparked your desire? What would you build onto them to make it your own in your fantasy? What would you build onto them to make it your own in your fantasy? Three, verbal expression. Is your lover talking softly and sweetly to you, showering you with compliments, or are you Longing to be commanded as you surrender your will to your partner's desires. Maybe you want to be passionately told, I want to eat you alive. What specific words would most spark your arousal for touch? What kind of touch would you want to give and receive? Is it soft, sensual, and feathery? Is it firm, commanding, and lustful? Where do you want to be touched? Are you partially clothed or fully naked? If partially clothed, what are you wearing? What's being hidden and revealed for direct physical touch? Five, energy. How do you want to feel? Do you want to feel romantic, safe, and loved? Do you want to feel wild and playful? Or do you want to feel out of control, feasting on passion and lust? Do you want to feel edgy and uncertain as you take on an energy of dominating with your desire or submitting to your lover's desires as the object of their desire? So we're almost done. Okay, I'm gonna do the wrapping up part. Hope this article has enabled you to touch new insights about yourself and open up doors of exploration for you or slash or your partner to play with and venture into. While sex fulfills a biological impulse to, to procreate and experience pleasure, we come to sex to fulfill a need to feel something. Fantasies are one of the entry points to explore missing experiences and patterns of anxiety and fear. Studying our sexual expression is the fast track to investigating the whole of our human experience and cracking into deeper freedom in all realms of our being. We reach deeper intimacy with ourselves within each other when we expose and embrace the undercurrent of feelings we seek to experience through connection, intimacy, and sex. To continue this exploration, you can visit my blog article, Sexuality Gateway to Reclaim My Power. The more you know yourself, the more you can share this intimacy with another, forging deeper bonds of love and enjoying playful explorations in the process. You're an empowered erotic being who can create more of what you want. Once you've unearthed what desires truly live with God and itself, 
one of eight tributes to Celeste and Daniel, the founders of the Somatic Method, for my amazing journey of becoming a certified somatic coach. Somatica coach. They have brilliantly organized these hottest sexual fantasies and ingredients, which I have only slightly built upon by adding the spiritual eco sex to learn more about their relationship and sexuality training program. You can click here on the website. Your stories and questions are welcome here. If you present if you prefer to send a question anonymously, you can do so via the form, including in, including on X Annie Mary or chime in on Instagram at Annie A-N-E dot Mary dot Marin. I chose to read that before. Um, Investigating a common dilemma. I need sex first to create common. I need sex first to create emotional connection first. I need emotional connection first before I want sex. I recently explored this topic in a couple's coaching session. He expressed, I need sex first to create emotional connection. While she responded, yes. I need emotional connection first before I want sex. Together, the three of us unpacked this pattern. As we dug deep, we pruned to the root, and here's what we found for these two lovers. We felt the need for sex every day in order to assuage the fears that creep in between acts of sexual intimacy. We experienced voices of fear that said, you're not enough, you're not lovable, and having sex served to reaffirm its value and place in the world. It was a young aspect of his early condition that was manifesting in his adult relationship. An innocent and wise attempt to heal a missing experience through sexual connection. On the other hand, his partner felt pressured by his need for this frequency of sex, not because she didn't love sex with him, but because he was rejecting need onto her to fix a part of him, which ended up feeling unsexy to her. This shadow pattern reinforced old trauma from her childhood, which she had to attend to everyone else's needs, regardless of what she needed and the pacing that felt most aligned to her system. The present situation tapped into her history of needing to care for her father's emotional needs and feeling engulfed by another man's need for her to complete something in him. The feeling she sought through sex was freedom to go at her pace, take her time to be tended to in slower and more spacious ways. She needed to feel her sovereignty and choice and not respond to sex out of an obligation to fulfill another person's need for wholeness. Underneath the differences was common ground. They both feared losing each other but felt stuck in this dynamic. As the deeper feelings were revealed, they embraced and cried in each other's arms. Time stood still. Between tight squeezes, they would pause, pull back, look into each other's eyes as the tears fall. Eventually, each of them spoke of their love for one another. They reflected back what they could now see within themselves, as well as what they could clearly perceive in the other's world, which they couldn't, which, which they couldn't see before. The willingness to be vulnerable and bear and witness to each other's core wounds was the great was the gateway deeper clarity and intimacy, compassion, and love filled the room. Now that the shadows that had been at play could be welcomed with love and care, a new level of intimacy became possible. They could see where they had both previously wanted to look outside themselves for internal fulfillment and had given into impulsive condition responses in their relationship. At the cost of honoring the authentic needs and desires, they both now wanted to heal and transform these patterns within the container of the love and safety they had created. Differences when embraced with love and curiosity can bring us to profound levels of love and healing together. Now, this is the last part for real. What about the potential conflict between your partner sexy channels of arousal? If you're struggling with sexual arousal or desire in a relationship, you're not alone. Our current cultural social paradigm has placed immense pleasure on couples to fill each other's every, every need. Domestically and sexually, inevitably, there will be differences in friction. Depending on life circumstances and on the various seasons of the relationship, 
we may find ourselves prioritizing certain aspects of our shared life. In her book, Mating in Captivity, Esther Perel speaks brilliantly about this universal struggle to manage our domestication needs while maintaining erotical liveness. The way through is to transparently share our needs and disappointments. To create, to, to co-create deeper intimacy with one another, we must be willing to account for our differences with love and compassion, especially when fear, blame, shame, and control try to run the show. Relationships are one of the most complex riddles of the human design. They are also one of the most fulfilling and nourishing aspects of existence. Knowing why you chose a relationship and what your values are inside of it is key. I suggest that every couple explores whether they have a shared reality. To learn more on this topic, you can check out an ex and uh, Mary's response to finding one's authentic erotic expression in partnership. Explore your internal map of arousal alongside your partner. You may find that you clash in certain areas of desire, which doesn't have to mean that something is wrong or someone needs to change. Depending on how you relate to this perceived difference, it could be an invitation to go deeper into the feelings and missing experiences you each hold, what is driving your desire. A common clash I've seen in heterosexual relationships is the belief that men want more sex than women. I'm grateful to see that the stereotype is shifting as we explore our own authenticity, find freedom and permission to break indoctrinated cultural boxes of appropriate and appropriate sexual expression. And yet, it's still a real dilemma for many couples. When I track this in my life and through cut countless conversations with others, it seems there's a clash of needs. If, if men seek connection first by having sex to create emotionally intimacy, but women lack desire for sex and emotional connection established first, then what? A weird chicken and egg situation, right? How can the needs of both partners be met in a way that serves the relationship? The answer is a unique path to be lived out by each couple. Often the answer is united when we bring a hunger and willingness to look at the dynamic that lives under the surface of this pattern. After this, I'll be done. Okay. My settings. My environments are both indoors and outdoors. People are around, and we're bubbled up into our own private space. Yes, I have music playing. Yes, I have candles. I have food. I have wood burning in the fireplace. And I have rain falling on the skylights above me. It is daytime, and it is nighttime. How much time do I have? Unlimited time. Are you luxuriating in time? Yes, I am. Do you only have a small window to work with? Yes, I do. Is that pressure to move quickly for open to your turn on? To a healthy insertion and healthy duration? Yes. Two gestures. Draw an example of gestures, gestures listed earlier. Which one sparks your desire? All of them. What would you build onto them to make it your own in your fantasy? Communication and permission. Uh, verbal expression. Is your lover talking softly and sweetly to you, showering you with compliments? Yes, it's mutual. Or are you longing to be commanded as you surrender your will to your partner's desires? Yes. Maybe you want to be passionate. I want to eat you alive. Yes. What specific words would most spark your arousal? Our flirty talk, dirty talk, horn talk. Okay. For a touch, what kind of touch would you want to give and receive? Is it soft, sensual, and feathery? For me, yes. Is it firm, commanding, and lustful? For me, yes. Where do you want to be touched? 
everywhere. Are you partially clothed? Yes. What about times when you're fully naked? Yes. Partially clothed, what are you wearing? Boxes. That's about it. What's being hidden revealed for direct physical touch? I would say personality one, looks number two. Um, five, energy, how do you want to feel? Do you want to feel romantic, safe, and love? Yes. Do you want to feel wild and playful? Yes. Or do you want to feel out of control, feasting with passion and lust? Yes. Do you want to feel edgy and uncertain as you take on the energy of dominating with your desire? Yes. Or submitting to your love desires as the object of their desire? Yes. Thank you for listening.